Biathlon is a unique Olympic event. It challenges participants with opposing athletic endeavors in a singular competition. It combines the heart-pumping aerobic aspects of cross-country skiing matched with the intense focus of precision marksmanship. Two diametrically opposing forces testing every ounce of physical and mental strength of athletes. Welcome to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. With each episode, Heartbeat brings you insights into this fascinating sport. As an athlete, you often toil in obscurity, traveling the world far from family and friends in pursuit of your dreams. For U.S. biathlete Paul Schomer, the holiday period this year was time to relax in Ramsau, Austria. It was about spending some time with his wife and family back home via video conference and looking ahead to the IBU World Cup races in Oberhof and Antholz, then on to Beijing. At the opening IBU World Cup races in Östersund, Sweden in November, Paul Schomer and Jake Brown, both Midwestern natives, punched their tickets to Beijing with strong results in the 20K. A dream that had eluded Schomer four years ago has now become a reality. He will become an Olympian. Schomer grew up in the flatlands of East Central Wisconsin. He was a wrestler in high school and thought that would be his pathway in sport. But he deviated in high school and found a new path with cross-country skiing. In college at St. Scholastica in Duluth, Minnesota, biathlon legend Chad Samla recruited him into the sport of biathlon, and he was hooked. In this episode of Heartbeat, Paul Schomer tells his story from growing up in Wisconsin to traveling the world with the U.S. biathlon team. He also explores his fun YouTube channel, Biathlon Uncharted. And if you don't follow it now, click on over to YouTube to find it. That's Biathlon Uncharted. He provides a fascinating look into the lifestyle of today's biathletes through his videos. Now let's get to the interview with newly qualified Olympian Paul Schomer from his training base in Ramsau here on Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon podcast. And a big welcome to Paul Schomer from the U.S. Biathlon team. And I think we can actually say... Olympian Paul Schomer, because he is on his way to Beijing. And Paul, thanks so much for joining us on Heartbeat today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. And where are you based right now? Uh, we're over the holidays right now, uh, just after Christmas, and uh, you guys have been training over in Europe. Uh, where's your training base? Yeah, right now we're in Ramsau, Austria. Uh, this is where we've been over the Christmas break. It's kind of become our home base here in Europe because our coach, Vagar Bitness, he currently lives in Ramsau as well. And it's a great, great town for for training. It has great ski trails, biathlon range and uh, and everything else we need. So it's been kind of nice to make this our our home here in Europe. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. Uh, nice mountain valley and you're up on the plateau there. How has the snow been this holiday over uh uh, in that part of Austria? It's been pretty, pretty good. They, they got a lot of snow early on this year. Um, they got almost about a meter, probably three weeks ago. Uh, when we first got here, it was really nice temps, really wintry. Uh, it was really great, but the last couple days it's been starting to warm up a little bit. Uh, there's still enough coverage on the, the trails, thankfully for, for training, but it looks like the next coming days, there's some some iffy precipitation that might be on the horizon. So hopefully everything can stay stay in good conditions for us in the next 
next week or so, but uh, we will be heading out on the third to head up to Oberhof. So at that point, um, I'm sure we'll be encountering some rain when we get up to Oberhof. So Paul, you had about a two or three week break over the holidays from the World Cup competitions. And I know it's typical for teams to make that decision to try to stay put, but how is it to have to stay in Europe during that time period, uh, be away from family, friends back home? Uh, I know it's an important year with the Olympics, but uh, what's the psyche uh, you know, between races when you're just chilling out at a training base like you are in Ramsau? Um, I think it varies for like person to person. This year, before uh, coming over to Europe, I had talked to my wife and kind of had made a, a plan that if I made the Olympic team, I would head home for Christmas. And if I did not, I would stay here because there would be trials right after the Christmas break. But as the the racing kind of started, I had made the decision just after some like thought and prayer that maybe I should just stay in Europe no matter what happens with team namings and uh, prepare prepare for the races after the new year, um, just with the the thought that the most important races of the season are coming after the new year. So maybe it is best to stay, uh, stay, stay put here in Europe. And so had, had made that decision. And I think at first it was definitely a little bit of a bummer and would definitely have liked to be at home. But, uh, my, my training situation situation back home in the United States right now is, is less than ideal. Uh, just being th- from, from the Midwest and currently living in Fargo, North Dakota and, it's definitely a little tougher, but when I look at like the bigger picture of how my my recovery is a lot lot better when I'm not traveling across the Atlantic Ocean, and then also being in a place like Ramsau where I have everything I need to train properly, uh, it just kind of makes it a lot easier. And it's also great because we have like the entire men's team here, uh, all six of us uh, training together, and we we celebrated Christmas together. And I think that that was really really fun and and kind of special to to have everybody just bring something that they maybe had back home and is kind of tradition or whatever. And to kind of blend all these different celebrations in one with the teammates that are here. Uh, it, it was pretty, it was, it was pretty special. And so maybe it's not something I'd want to do every single year, but to be able to do it for one year was, was pretty great. And so I think all in all, it's been a really good, good break. And it it's really I think possible because of the other people that are here. It'd be really tough if I was definitely on my own and stuff. So um, thankfully I have teammates that I get along with and can also hang out with as well. We're recording this podcast interview on Heartbeat between Christmas and New Year. Looking back to Christmas a few days ago, how did you celebrate it with your family back home? Were you able to get online and to see see your family and your friends back home to uh, in? kind of kindle that Christmas spirit uh, virtually? Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, um, we're in a place right now where the apartment we're staying at in Ramsau has good enough internet to have decent video chat, which is not always the case in Central Europe. So thankfully that we have that uh, opportunity to be able to talk with family, uh, open up some presents and just kind of kind of share that as well. So I was able to do that with, with my family and then also my wife's side of the family as well. So yeah. And it was kind of kind of tough because I was sitting here cooking for w- what was our team Christmas here, and so it was kind of like all these things going at once. But but yeah, it was it was it was nice to be able to see everybody's face. So let's talk about the Olympic team. And before we talk about Beijing, let's go back to 2018. And you had 
uh, a big goal in front of you in 2018 to try to make that Olympic team. You came up a little bit short at that point. What kind of motivation was that for you, Paul, to really keep pushing forward and to get into the process to make the team for 2022 in Beijing? Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think back four years. Um, I was a relatively new biathlete at that time. And so I definitely had hopes of making that team. Unfortunately, wasn't in the cards at that point. And um, ever since then, I think there's definitely been some like pretty tough seasons, uh, including a, a knee surgery and a tonsillectomy in one, one season. Um, and then with COVID last year, it was, it was a really difficult training year for me being on my own. So to be able to come in this year and do it is, uh, I don't want to say a huge sigh of relief because I, I still believe that the most important races are ahead of us. And I, I want to go to Beijing and compete at my my highest level, hopefully. But uh, it definitely was a great feeling to be able to, to clinch that spot, especially when I look back at all the times when I contemplated maybe kind of hanging it up and having some of those struggles and kind of wondering how I was going to make ends meet um, as someone who who has kind of tried to do it on my own at times uh, financially and and stuff like that just because of some of the different unique situations that I'm in. But, but to, to be able to then just see it all come together was definitely special. And I think uh, more than that, it's a result of like all, having a lot of people around me and a lot of support through um, through my sponsors, through my family, through my friends and everything. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's definitely been a long road and looking back four years ago, um, I think I was okay with it, but looking into the future, I don't know if I will be competing in biathlon for another four years. And so I kind of knew that this was like my last shot to go experience the Olympics as an athlete. And so to be able to do that, I think is going to be pretty special. Let's go back to that race in Oostersund in November, uh, first races of the season. You and your teammate, Jake Brown, both natives of the Midwest. You're from Wisconsin, Paul, and Jake from Minnesota. You guys went out that day and you made a real statement. You both got qualifying results for the Olympics. Take us back to that race in Oostersund and what was going through your mind that day and how did the race play out for you? I mean, it's the first race of the season, so you just want to go out and, and do what you can. I think one thing that our coach Vegar has always told us is like, don't try to do anything special. Cause I think when you try to do something better, you try to perfect it, you actually mess up. And I think that's something that's also really powerful that Vegar has really shown us is that he believes in our ability because he sees it day to day. And so that day it was like, okay, just go out and do what you've been doing this summer. I've had a great, I had a great summer of training. I had a lot of really great training camps with my teammates, with my coach, and to be able to to have that confidence in the training was like really huge for me, something that I don't think I've had in the past. And so um, I knew I was ready and prepared and I just had to go out and do what I was capable of. And I think that's what was really cool about that performance is I didn't feel like I like raced outside of my ability that day. I just went out and did what I was capable of. And it showed that I think our team is at a new level in that we are capable of better results than we've had in the past, even with the the entire competition field being at a really high level. That's something that we've seen this year just in time back and ski speed and everything else um, of just the men's field as a whole. And so I think, I think it was a great 
great way to start the season. But um, as I said, it, it it was the first season and I or first race of the season. So hopefully it's just a glimpse of what maybe is yet to come. Um, and so things it's a long season and things can change quickly. So I think it was a great way to start, but I hope we can just keep building on it. One of the things you just said is really important, uh, I think, in sport, and it's something I've heard from other biathletes, and that is that you didn't think that day that you accomplished something that was outside of the realm of possibility from your training. Is there a feeling on your men's team right now that you guys are really well prepared and that you're able to go out there and have those kind of days to ski really well, to shoot really well, and put in a good performance? I mean, the World Cup is just at such a high level right now, and it's sometimes hard to really have that confidence where you're like, man, I can ski with the best of them. Because there are some guys where, I mean, when they're skiing fast, they're just, they're flying. And with as much as we race, there's times where you'll show up and you feel good. And there's other days where you're like, man, I'm kind of, kind of torched from this last week of racing where I had four races in one week. So I think it's maybe not the confidence. And I think one thing this year that I've seen is that I'm, I'm maybe not as strong as I think I am sometimes that I have weaknesses and like every shot counts and to not get ahead of myself. I think that's something that's really important to not ever think like, Oh, I have a second to give up or I have a shot that I can give away. It's like, you got to fight for every single second and every single shot. Um, and so I think we have the desire for sure to, to ski and shoot with the best of them. Um, and I think that's really the most important thing. Um, I think everyone possesses that ability on the world cup maybe, but sometimes it's the desire that really is the, the big difference maker. Yeah. I think desire is a really important element. And, you know, I'll go back to your quest in 2018. Did you, you really had that desire from 2018 up to, to now to, to get on that team and to show what you could do in biathlon. You had that desire, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, if you don't have it in some ways, you're you're not going to make it in biathlon. You got to (laughs) definitely be committed. You got to really dedicate your life to, to the sport. If you want to, if you want to have any sort of success, but I mean, there's definitely times where doubt creeps in and you kind of wonder like, do I have what it takes? Uh, do I want to do this? Is it worth it? Um, and I think it's those questions that you kind of have to wrestle with and you gotta, you gotta accept the challenge and, and kind of embrace the suck and, and just go for it. I love that. Embrace the suck and go for it. Let's go back and look at your career. And I love talking to biathletes because there are these two completely separate diametrically opposing components with the skiing and with the marksmanship. How did your career come together as a young athlete? I imagine you first got into cross country and the the marksmanship aspect came sometime later, but track us through your beginnings in, in Nordic sport. Yeah. So, um, for anybody else that anybody that that is listening, that is not familiar, um, with like where I'm from and stuff. I grew up in Appleton, Wisconsin, which anybody who's from the Midwest, um, or from Appleton knows that that's really not a place where a lot of Nordic skiers come from. There's no skiing culture. My parents had like, they knew what the Berkey was and had skied a Cordelopit with some friends way back, um, before they had a family, um, more as just like a bet sort of thing. But, um, I actually grew up wrestling and playing soccer. Wrestling was kind of like my main sport. And so a lot of the winters as a kid, I'd spent just 
in a, in a gym at tournaments on the weekends. Um, and really thought as a kid that that was going to be my sport. And that's where my, my heart was when it came to, to competing. But, um, I had some stuff happen when I was a freshman in high school and just never really went back to, to wrestling. And at that point, there was a cross country ski club that was started at my high school with a, with the vice principal who was a triathlete and also a Berkey skier. And he thought like, Oh, it'd be great to be able to get kids into skiing and then also train with them. Uh, and my brother who was on the cross country running team at the time, he, he was one of the people that helped start this club. And so as a younger brother, I, I was kind of like got involved a little bit. And then, um, after I had was done wrestling. Then I started skiing a little bit more. And so, uh, on the weekends I started going with like the old guys from the Fox Valley to, to where there was snow. Cause there wasn't always snow back home. And if there was snow, there wasn't really good trails. And so I just started skiing more and more and more. And it really became a, a sport that like the first sport that I felt like I was doing for myself that I truly loved. And it was just totally different than anything else I'd ever tried as well. Um, and thankfully it kind of played to some of my, my talents is, as a, as an athlete as well. And so by the time I was a senior in high school, I was like trying to race at a high level skiing. I, I had some people who helped point me in the right direction with the junior nationals and trying to qualify for the Midwest team and stuff. And thankfully did that as a senior in high school. And then at the time I thought my only opportunity to ski at the NCAA level was at UWGB, but I really didn't want to go to UWGB. The The team culture at the time really didn't mesh with me and it was way too close to home. And I just didn't want to have that be my only option. And so I ended up talking to the coach at Saints Glasga up in Duluth, Minnesota. And he seemed like a good coach. I heard a lot of great things about him and the team culture seemed to be a lot better fit for me. And so I ended up going to Saints Glasga and it just was the best decision of my life. Um, I always say that deciding to go to Scholastica just like was a, the best decision I've ever made. And also just like one that totally changed my life. Because once I went to, to Duluth, I was exposed to this, this different lifestyle that I'd never seen before from somebody living in Appleton. Like people would go out mountain biking after work. There was trails everywhere. Uh, there were ski trails everywhere. People were into the outdoors. And, um, and it just, it was really, really cool. It was really, really cool for me. Um, and so it was there that my coach, Chad Salmla, who was also an ex-biathlete himself, um, who kind of noticed some of my talents and started to try to talk about biathlon in my ear. And eventually I went up to Grand Rapids at, in Mount Itasca and tried biathlon, just tried the shooting aspect with a, with a biathlete who was living there at the time named Mark Johnson. And, um, and I was like, yeah, this is pretty cool. And then I think it was about a year later that I, I went to a talent ID camp with us biathlon and they kind of invited, started inviting me back to some camps. And by the time I was graduating college in 2015, I decided that I was going to, I was just going to kind of go for it and pursue biathlon full time and see, see what happens. Yeah. Ch Chad had, had really used that platform at St. Scholastica to recruit biathletes. We had Kelsey Dickinson on the uh, heartbeat a, a short time ago and another St. Scholastica athlete. Actually, did the two of you cross over there time-wise? Yep. Yeah. We were there for like two or three years. I know Kelsey had started biathlon before she was, she came to Scholastica and 
ended up taking a year off when she had qualified for some teams with the U.S. Biathlon. Um, and and so I, I think it was two years total that we competed together at San Scalasca. Um, but but she was also here in Romsal over Christmas and stuff. And so we still still see each other quite quite often as well. What were your feelings when you went up to Mount Atasca and you started to learn the marksmanship aspect of biathlon? What were the first thoughts going through your mind and what made that exciting or exhilarating for you? Um, I mean, at the time, I, I didn't know how biathlon worked really at all. I knew that there was skiing and I knew there was shooting and they kind of went together. Um, at that point, it was really like, hey, if there's a if there's an opportunity, I'll take it. I didn't really know where it could lead. Um, I, I definitely was like just taking an opportunity that presented itself. I think that was really the, the only thing that was in my mind at that time. I don't know if there was like true dreams or aspirations yet at that moment. Let's, let's look at your, uh, 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 where you are now with the U S biathlon team. What's ahead of you in the next six weeks, you're heading into the Olympics in Beijing and Let's first look at the World Cup calendar ahead of you. You're off to Oberhof next. What are some of the key stops on the tour as you make your way up to the Olympics in Beijing? One thing to mention when it comes to establishing a training plan for for biathlon or skiing or really any sport is that, I mean, there's science to back up some training methodology, but it's not an exact science. Like there's no guarantees. And so working right now with our coach, we're, we're trying to create a program that we believe will set us up as best we can, as, as best we can get for, for the games. But, um, so right now we're in more of a training block in, in Ramsau, and then we'll go race in Oberhof. And then we're actually going to be skipping the Rupolding world cup to go train in Martel, Italy, which is at altitude because the Beijing venue is also at altitude. So it's going to be really important to be acclimated, for when we, we hit the ground in Beijing, we're ready to prepare for the races. Um, and then we will be racing in Antolz, Italy, right before we fly out to Beijing, because we'll be leaving a little less than a week after that last race in Antolz. Um, and because of COVID and all the other things uh, surrounding that and traveling to China, we're going to have to have a couple of days where we're going to be having to like go get testing at the Chinese embassy and and, and as well as a few other things that just come along with um, big championships races like like the Olympics. And so I think it's going to be balancing the training, but not overdoing it, uh, because a lot of those other things that come along with um, traveling and getting all the clothing and press stuff with the with the Olympics is you got to kind of manage all that so that you're not wearing your your body down, but that you're still prepared to to race. Paul, not a lot is known about the venues there because of the pandemic across all sports. Teams and uh, athletes have generally not been able to get on the venue. I know that you've had some intel, you've had some people who have been over there, but what are you hearing about the biathlon venue in Beijing? I think the, the number one thing people are talking about is just like, it's cold. Um, apparently it's like pretty high up, pretty close to like the Mongolian border, I think. Um, I think it's Zhanyakau or something is is the the name of where the city that is next to the 
to the biathlon venue. I'm probably butchering, but it's like Jean-Jacques Cao. Jean-Jacques Cao. We'll Jean all get Cao. used to it yeah. as we get there. <laughs> yeah. And so um, we've heard it's high, it's dry, there can be wind. Um, and I think it's going to be, it's going to be a good venue for, for opportunity. Um, I think that's something that, uh, I kind of like is to, to not have like super simple conditions and range and stuff. Um, and I mean, it's with, with the championships, it just adds another element of, um, stress and anxiety sometimes to the competitions. And so hopefully it's a good opportunity, but also kind of great to be able to go to a place that, you know, nobody else has been to before. And it's kind of like an equal playing field then, um, so, so yeah, I'm excited to go, go check it out and, and see what it's like, but I'm kind of thinking, um, from pictures that we, we have seen, it looks pretty similar to soldier hollow in some ways where it's kind of like that high, dry, arid, uh, sort of climate. We'll see, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Let's change course here a little bit. And I, I, one of the things that I've admired about you is your passion for, for telling a story and you do it so well in your, your videos, but uh, tell us a little bit about Biathlon Uncharted and how you got into this area and 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 a, a little bit about your video production that you do. Yeah, I think it all started with with my good good friend and teammate from from college, Chris Parr. He really got into video editing and video making when he was in high school, did it all through college and now is like a professional video editor and producer. He had always been like, dude, like if you had a video series, that's something that I would watch. And so I think he kind of tried to like, uh, get me to start making videos so that he could watch them. Um, but it also was just a way for me to pass time in, in Europe and just a new skill to learn last season. Uh, so I, so I bought a camera and just started making some random videos, trying to learn how to video edit. Um, and the name Biathlon Uncharted just came from when, my, my teammates, Jake and Luke Brown were hanging out with me in Hayward, Wisconsin for like a training camp last year. And, uh, we, I had my other college friend there, Matt Lee, and we were just like trying to think of a name, like what's something that we could kind of do. Um, and at first I think it was like, it was going to do vagabond by athlete. Um, but we're like, Hey, but like a vagabond just kind of like is roaming around. They don't have like such direction. And so we're like, maybe something better. My friend, Matt was just like, what about uncharted? And we're just like, sure. Sounds good. And just kind of like went with that. Um, and so it's just been kind of, a, I think a fun way to like share some videos. And, uh, this year I've been like super busy and haven't been able to do as much, uh, video, video editing and production and stuff. But yeah, I'm hoping that in the, in the next two months here, I can start to get some good footage and eventually put up some videos of, um, both the races here in Europe and then also in Beijing. Well, I, I, I think you sell yourself short, Paul, because you have a great selection up there. You've got, I think, uh, I, I'm looking at four different videos that you posted since the Maloya uniforming back in November. Uh, I loved your lodging tour of Obertiliac in Munich. Tell us about that one. Yeah, I just, uh, this year we've been staying at some more Airbnbs. And so I've been trying to, to get a video of like most places where we're staying just to give a different look at like some of the different lodging uh, setups that we have because with Airbnb, we've had some, some cooler, bigger houses and, um, that, that kind of show, I guess, a little bit different aspects of the different places we go. So like up in Sweden, um, we had like a big house on the lake in Ostersund. And then, um, in France, we had like a 
big, beautiful ski chalet, uh, in the mountains and stuff. So, so yeah, just trying to, trying to get caught up and just, I guess, show different sides of the athlete lifestyle, um, that people don't normally see. Well, I, I think what's good about it is the average fan probably doesn't think about the fact that you're on the road. I mean, you'll be on the road without going home for what, three, three months, four months this winter. Yeah, it really depends. Um, I mean, from beginning of November to the end of March, potentially. So it really varies, but yeah, I mean, it can be three, four five months at a time, uh, just living in different apartments or hotels and stuff like that. So, um, I need to try and get some videos when like in the middle of the week before we all pack up. Um, cause sometimes that's where you see the interesting things of like just ski clothes everywhere and, uh, all the random stuff that people are always traveling with because also as athletes, I mean, we're there to, to compete. And so we have different things where people need to have like an area to stretch or an area to get massage or an area to dry fire and do some shooting drills or the exercise bike and stuff like that. So it's not like your typical vacation setup. It's a, it's kind of like a work environment that just travels around with the races. Yeah, it's got to be functional. Well, it is great for us as fans back home to see this and get an understanding of the athlete lifestyle. I, I want to talk about your work with GoPros. Athletes have fun with GoPros and learn different places to mount them to get the most interesting points of view. Uh, tell us about uh, what you've learned with uh, uh, with GoPro devices, different places that you've mounted them to get really interesting and unique angles. Yeah, the GoPro has been a, a great camera for, for what I need to do with it. Uh, I'm not like an expert um, when it comes to like videography and stuff. Um, and, I, and you just need something that's like simple, durable, and can travel easily. So GoPro has been great for that. It has great audio, great quality. Um, it's kind of a kind of awesome what, what you get in just like a small little package. But, but yeah, I found it like super easy to mount on like anything really, like on my rifle, on my bike, um, on my helmet, just the chest mount for when we're like skiing around doing track talks, stuff like that. Um, and the one thing is just like, it's good for like point of view stuff, but like if you're trying to see something far away, it's maybe not as great. So, um, but the, the other thing that's really nice is like the fish eye, you can get like a big perspective of, um, of things from, or like, like a point of view shot is a lot better sometimes with the fish eye. Cause you can see the entire field of view. Um, so I think that's, that's something that's been, been kind of cool with it. And it also takes some great photos at times. So, but I think the easiest, it's just so nice to be able to carry something small and, and simple. My favorite angle in biathlon has been putting a GoPro on a little mini tripod, setting it down in a shooting position for prone and just getting that wide angle close up of the athlete, their focus, the rifle, the barrel looking down the range. That's for, for me as a non-skiing athlete, uh, that's my favorite use of GoPro. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think just like the the range can be so captivating sometimes. Um, just seeing athletes get into shooting position and the concentration and uh, just like even sometimes you can see the emotion even like right before shooting or right after. Yeah, it can be it can be a pretty cool shot. Uh, changing course a little bit again as we uh, head towards the uh, 
the finale of this podcast with our our little on target section. But I know that uh, your faith and uh, Christianity has been very important to you. Uh, how has that really helped you as a person and, of course, as an athlete as well? Yeah, um, I think in a lot of ways, it's it's one way that's like helped keep me grounded through a lot of different things, um, especially in like a high performance athletic arena. There's a lot of people who can try to gain their identity through through that through their performances or what they're working towards. Um, but I think for me, like in my just my Christian faith and life and um, all of that, it's been really cool to to have that like that anchor through it all um, and to be able to go into races knowing that like hey like this is something that I want to have like I want to do well but it's not going to be the thing that defines um, who I am or like my purpose. Um, but also just meeting different people from all over the world and seeing God work in different ways, um, I think is, has really helped me grow a lot. Um, I think like, especially here in Europe, I mean, I, I think I can't <laughs> ignore like when I first started biathlon and it was like, I was, people would always ask like, Oh, how do you support yourself? And I'd be like, eh, it's just kind of like living on a prayer and like, um, maybe people got it and maybe people didn't, but it was like, I really had to kind of trust God to provide in those times. And it was really cool to see how he did in different ways and use different people. Um, and kind of have to like grow and trust and, in that grow and trust that those things were going to be provided for. Um, so yeah, I think there's been a lot of like struggle and suffering or pain along the way, but, um, it's been cool to see how, how God uses those different things. Um, in different ways. Cool. Well, Paul, you have a great track on things as an athlete and as a person, and it's been great to talk to you here on Heartbeat. And we're going to close it out with a section that we call On Target, a series of uh, some short little fun questions to learn a little bit more about you. And one question I love asking by athletes, you guys have the opportunity to travel around the world and go to some really fascinating places. Do you have one particular favorite biathlon venue that you've been to over the years? Man, I think like for biathlon venues, I still think one of the coolest venues I've ever been to is Home and Colon in, in Oslo. I just think it's like that quintessential Nordic venue. And uh, I graduated high school in 2010. And so I kind of grew up in the the era of Petter Nortug as, as the king. And I mean, they have the ski jump there and seen the the videos of like him coming in to the finish with that ski jump in the background and then like you're there one day and you just see that and you're like whoa this is where like nordic skiing lives and so i think that's been one of my favorite venues to go to i love that and holman colin is truly a spectacular temple of the sport really uh just speaking of petter north did you have any sport heroes when you were growing up in appleton yeah, I would say like one of the sport heroes I had was Dan Gable, who is a wrestler from Iowa. And he just kind of had this like, I mean, he was known for his work ethic, but also just his winning ways. Um, he won lost one match as an NCAA wrestler, his last college match, and then went on to um, win multiple Olympic medals and was just was one of those defining characters in the sport of wrestling. And um yeah, so I kind of kind of saw him as like one guy that was pretty pretty impressive to as an athlete. 
How about a favorite sports team? And I, I, this should be a no-brainer. Your favorite sports team? <laughs> uh, oh, man. I, I As a Wisconsinite, I think everyone's like, oh, it's got to be the Packers. And like for the longest time, it's funny because like I grew up in in Appleton, but I was not like a huge football fan, which anybody who's from Appleton, I went to Kimberly High School, which is like this crazy football high school. Um, but I mean, I guess it, I guess it would be the Packers. But I, when I look at like other other sports, I mean, right now I feel like I'm a Red Bull F1 fan. They just kind of come off the Max Verstappen winning the the um, with the World Championship, and um, yeah, I've been been big fan of F1. But I'm also a really big motocross fan. I really like the sport of motocross and watching that. I don't know if those count as sports teams, but I don't know if I have like one team where I'm like that's that's my team. So, but I would say like, yeah, the Packers and then Red Bull F1 team right now. And then, uh, motocross, I don't know who'd be my, my favorite team. I have a few favorite riders though, I'd say. Yeah. Well, I, I just figured right down the road from the Packers, you got to be a Packer fan. If you're from Wisconsin, you're a Packer at heart. Uh, the Packers have the Vikings coming up, uh, in actually we're recording this between Christmas and New Year's. So New Year's weekend, the Packers playing the Vikings on NBC Sunday Night Football. Your teammate Jake Brown from Minnesota is a Vikings fan. Are the two of you going to have a little bet on that game? Oh, man, I don't know if we've ever bet, but we definitely take some jabs at each other, I think. Uh, Jake is a, is a huge sports fan, so he's definitely more of a, of a Vikings fan than I am a Packer fan. But the Packers are the better team, so I kind of use that to my advantage right now. That's true. Um, That's so, true. So yeah, I mean, granted, the the Vikings did beat the Packers in in their one uh, match this year, but we'll see what happens again this next week. Hopefully, hopefully the Packers can kind of bounce back from from that last last match they had against the Vikings. Big revenge ma- uh, match, and and just for folks who don't know, I also am from Wisconsin, so we have that in common. I want to go back to your Formula One comment, though. I think a lot of fans have really picked up on Formula One. Being on the road a lot, did you get a chance to watch uh, Drive to Survive on Netflix? Um, I I haven't. I mean, I've seen Drive to Survive, um, but mostly like this season, I've just been watching the races and. Uh, it's been a little tough because I know when like Hoke feels in for the the finale in Abu Dhabi, uh, our race ended like right when the F1 race started. So I had to kind of like shut myself out from all social media and text messaging groups that I was in until I watched the race. And it was definitely worth it because, man, that was a that was a emotional roller coaster of a race. That's for sure. It sure it sure was. Um, how about a favorite activity outside of biathlon and cross-country skiing, something fun you like to do? I wish I could mountain bike more, so I feel like mountain biking is definitely something that I really love to do. Uh, and I also really enjoy paddling a lot when I have the opportunity. Um, after my first knee surgery, I started paddling this boat called a surf ski, which is really fun in like downwind surfing conditions. Um, so if I can hit like a really good downwind with some people that that is something I really enjoy but outside of working out I really enjoy being home and just having an opportunity to kind of like work on things around the house I know some people are kind of like oh really and it's like when you're on the road uh for I mean for me it's more like nine ten months of the year total that I'm I'm really traveling when when you have the opportunity to be home it's like man cutting the grass is kind of nice or like working on my car 
they're just doing yard work. It's kind of like, this is something that I really enjoy because I, a lot of times I'm just sitting in a hotel room, like preparing for the next race. Yeah, no, I hear you. I think there's a lot to that. Let's go back to Biathlon Uncharted. Do you have a favorite video edit that you've done over the years that you really like that we can go and check out on your YouTube channel? Yeah, I think the 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 Nova Mesto highlights was a was a fun one with Jake. We just like were in Ostersen, last race of the year. Susan and Sean had just gotten a podium in the single mixed relay at the Nova Mesto World Cup. And we just like did one take, just kind of came together. Um, and I think just like within our team, it was just super, super funny. And people um, got a lot of laughs out of it. Uh, we even got some some uh, some comments from the Norwegian team saying like, oh, man, you guys got to do some more voiceovers for biathlon races and stuff. And so um, maybe we'll have to do something like that more in the future. Jake and I or Zeke and Brew, um, as we were were called in the in the video. But, yeah, that one was was a pretty fun, pretty fun video. And then lastly, Biathlon has been an important part of your life now for a number of years. You're heading to the Olympics in Beijing in just a short amount of time. What does biathlon mean to you in just one word, a single word? What does biathlon mean to you, Paul? <laughs> I, it's a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, in one word, the, the first word that just comes to my head is frustrating. <laughs> and I frustrating. just think like, bi- biathlon can be incredibly frustrating. But on the opposite side of that, it can be uh, really, really meaningful too. But I'll, I'll just say biathlon is frustrating, one word. Well, but you took the right approach on it. I mean, yeah, it is really frustrating. There's so many different elements, but it's meaningful when you have that success. Paul Schomer, thank you for taking the time from your training base in Ramsau to chat with us here on Heartbeat. We wish you all the best uh, leading up to Beijing. Uh, you are an, an exciting athlete for us to follow and we wish you all the best thanks tom and also thanks to everyone for for tuning in and listening thanks to paul schomer for taking time to talk with us on heartbeat being a wisconsin native myself i was excited to see paul qualify for the team we hope you're enjoying heartbeat as we tell the stories of america's biathletes Remember to subscribe to Heartbeat to get every episode delivered directly to you and leave a review if you can. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. Thanks for listening to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon podcast.